0: So Welcome, everyone. I have a great guest uh, this week on the show, and it's my pleasure to introduce Karen Lee. She's the founder and managing partner of Narrative. Uh, she's a consultant, a coach, and a speaker, and a whole lot more. We met um, a couple of years ago, I think it was, mm-hmm. but I know there's a lot more to your experience than what I just gave our, our audience. So if you would, give us a little bit more context on who you are what, and what you do.
1: Okay. Well, I started out. I'm going to go way back. Um, I started ba- out in the corporate world, 15 years associate partner when I left with Accenture. It's now Accenture. It used to be called something else. Um, we did big technology projects, right? Bank of America is one of my main, main um clients, although I had a lot of different clients, but big projects. I realized about halfway in that I did not have a um. I didn't have a passion for technology. I had more of a passion for the people that I was leading and training and mentoring. Um, And so and we and I did actually go through some team building at Bank of America, who was my client. We had two managers. One was the client, Bank of America manager and, and me. And we were running a team in a big project and we were very very different and we were just struggling a little bit managing this team together right so we we went through these two team building sessions and by the way we actually used an assessment that's based on the big 5 and that's another story but during that we walked out of that that second team building session best buddies i mean we understood each other we then it was like oh well you should do that because you're good at this and you should and i should do this and it just we we were able to be so m- much more productive and, and it was much more pleasant, right? So I was hooked at that point. I mean, that was I wanted to do that team building. So fast forward, I I was climbing the ladder, making more money. I couldn't leave my husband wouldn't let me leave at that point. So I finally <laughs> got to leave. And I um even though that was a wonderful place, I lived in London for a couple of years, it was a great. Stint at Accenture. I have nothing bad to say about that. Um, I went from a sixty thousand person company to a five person company here in town. A, a couple that were married and business partners published a big five personality assessment. I ended up buying into that company, running the company. It became profitable. It we had we got twenty four distributors around the globe. In 2014, I sold my shares to back to my partners and I started narrative and narrative partners with clients to improve communication, employee engagement, transform cultures. And we do that through leadership and team training, conflict management, coaching, and really consulting anything regarding talent or behavior in the workplace. We do use a lot of research-based assessments in our work and I do, though, like to point out that those are just tools, right? Um, it's right. the hard work is applying the information you that comes out of it. And we have a proprietary assessment called the narrative big five personality assessment. So that was a
0: long, do you want me to tell you about my kids? and my, you know? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about a couple of things um, that you mentioned. And in, in, uh, we sent for the audience, we send out a a few questions to the guests beforehand um, to, to get at some of the personal things is a lot of times I think that provides a lot of context. So there's actually a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy to let you go wherever you want with yeah. whatever you want to share. But two of the things that you mentioned that got me really curious was you mentioned that um, you like spending time with your 125-year-old Victorian house. And then you also mentioned watching your favorite crime shows. I'm curious about both of those. Tell me about this house, though, a 125-year-old Victorian house.
1: Yes. So it's in Uptown Charlotte. In Uptown Charlotte, there's a neighborhood called the Fourth Ward. And it's Mm -hmm. mostly Victorian houses that were actually in the 70s. Kind of some of them were moved in to create this. There were some that were already there. And um, it's been in the 70s. It was kind of run down. And then people bought the homes and built, you know, fix them up, etc. So there was a first wave in the 70s. Well, in 2000, my husband and I bought a house there. And that was kind of the second wave. Um, And we raised our three children there and and i do we it's been on the home tour five times and the the reason we do the home tour we have like 2000 people come through the house in a weekend and oh, wow. everybody's like why would you do that and the reason we do it is because it forces us to kind of finish up those projects that we get ourselves into and you know to make so yeah and we've done a lot of work to it we've added about 1,600 square feet to what was there already Wow! over the
0: years? Because we've been there 23 years now. So part of the reason that I was curious about that is one of the reasons, so I I moved to the Charlotte region from South Florida. And Mm -hmm. I, I made a list like lots of people do, pros and cons, different areas. And one of the things that I loved about Charlotte was that in different areas, there's very different architecture. And in South Florida, with the exception of a few pockets, it's very very homogeneous. It's a lot of stucco, concrete block construction, and tile roofs. And a lot of it is beautiful, but it's kind of same old, same old.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that Fourth Ward area is um, one of those little pockets. It's for those of you that are not in the Charlotte area. Uptown Charlotte is the city, like where the high rises, like Bank of America and Duke, have their you know huge high rise buildings. Mm-hmm. And then the Fourth Ward is kind of tucked. Very yeah. close to these, so it's kind of a it seems to me like a pretty unique, yeah, kind it's of a, very a unique. situation, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so you mentioned crime shows, I've had a few people, uh, a few guests on with very interesting backgrounds. Two of them were uh, army interrogators for 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, so I've gotten really, really fascinated with behavior analysis and body language because, uh, those two guests. Uh, that's their expertise, right? Um, mm-hmm. And when I started talking to them and and consuming some of the content they put out, I realized that a lot of what they do and what they teach is very applicable in every area of our life. Because what they're what they learn certain skills and they use those skills in a certain context in the military, but those skills are really about observing what they call people's baselines, mm-hmm. right? Their natural behavior and that kind of leads into the yeah. assessments as well.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And then in their jobs as interrogators or in intelligence, what they were looking for is deviations from the baseline, right? And then there's all kinds of things that that could lead to, right? It may ask, Mm -hmm. it may not answer something, it may not tell them that a piece of information they need, but it might tip them off that, that they might be giving me something, a piece of information to be deceptive. But the real question I have is, why are they being deceptive? Right. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about what are some of your favorite crime shows? OK, I'm going to tell you. But what that a
1: couple of things that that brought to my mind was I am so good at predicting what's going to happen. My family is like, You've got to be kidding me. Like I always, I say, oh, well, I think blah, blah, blah. And then they'll, it'll happen. And they're, they're, they're somewhat amazed. And I imagine it's something about that, right? Because I do observe human behavior every day. That's what my expertise is, is is in understanding why people do what they do right although yep. nobody can really know there's so much that goes into that but my favorite crime shows um i have to you know i have such a bad memory i just bring up the last one that i've been watching so i've been watch i watch a lot of british crime shows oh. so i watched vera which is brenda blevins you might not remember her but she's a famous actress from a long time ago and um she's like this older stodgy lady but very much you know her own person and she's in um in England you know and there's murders and she goes out and investigates but it's all about the character like her as a character is just so interesting um I'm trying to I do watch some of the other stuff like just the mind the escapism of like SWAT or SEAL team or you know you things watch like that Oh, I loved Bosch. Yes. And Bosch legacy. There's a second one.
0: Oh, is there? You know that? I've, yes. I've some of it and then I forget, I don't know if I discovered a new show or somehow I got off track. So I haven't seen mm-hmm. all of them, but I, I like that there's something about Bosch that's a little bit different. I think it's, you know, his character is kind of this old kind of, he's kind of old school. He kind of doesn't fit in, but,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: he's got certain skills that, um, that other people don't have. Something you said actually reminded me, um, one of the guys that I had on, Greg Hartley, he was an army interrogator for 20 years. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
0: asked him a question, which was that when I watched, he has, uh, with three partners in crime, they have a YouTube channel called the Behavior Panel, right, which I stumbled across about a a year ago. And Mm -hmm. what they do is they show little snippets, usually maybe 15 seconds long. Typically, like like recently would be a good example, the Murdoch trials, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They show a little snippet, of him in court and then they'll freeze it and the four guys will give commentary on what they see and what they observe right
2: mm-hmm. and then they'll
0: play it back again and the question i asked greg was the first time i saw that and i watched the clip the second time after they explained what they saw mm-hmm. i was like this is insane it's like watching a magic trick yeah right and i asked him i said you guys ever get that comment he goes all the time so it's, yeah. it sounds like what you're the feedback you're getting from your family is how did you do that? To them, it right, seems like magic right. because yeah. they don't see what you see. Right. So right. I think that's a good lead into assessments because they're kind of a, um, a, a sort of more refined way of mm-hmm. getting to uh, some of the behavior experts. They talk about baselines. They typically are g- getting to somebody's baseline by observation, but assessments help people do that much quicker and more scientifically. Mm-hmm. So um, I know you use the Big Five.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and before we jump into that, uh, can you touch on just real quick big five versus hexaco? i've I've not read a lot, but there's there's one one other piece that Hexaco uses that Big Five doesn't. Are you familiar with Hexaco at all? I'm not familiar with Hexaco. That's interesting. Okay. I thought I've heard them. all of them. <laughs> I thought I'd heard um, all, all of what, them. So I've been doing this over 20 years. From what little um, I've read, Hexaco just adds one, one. It basically is based on the big five, but it adds some one extra like aspect right, of personality. Right, right, got um, it. Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. us about the big five and why, and maybe for some context, most of my audience is probably in the, in the finance and accounting space. So they mm-hmm. all would would have heard of, of Accenture and are familiar with that, that right. company. For those of you that are not familiar for Accenture for a little more context they're one of the biggest consulting firms on the planet and have been for a very very long time. Mm-hmm. So like when I was graduating from college I wanted to work for one of the big 4 CPA firms. If you wanted to go into management consulting Accenture was like one of those that people like yeah. really really wanted to work at. So I'm saying that for context because right. I imagine working there you probably did a lot of things that were very very like based on science and metrics and things that were measurable. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the big 5 and why you chose to specialize in the big 5 versus all the other ones. So
1: well, I'll say I'll tell you it was sort of happenstance that I found a company in town that that published an assessment that was different than you know, and so there was kind of happenstance, but the reality is that it is the standard for psychologists and academics. So now that if if people haven't heard of the big five, if now that you've heard of it, it's called the big five or the five factor model of personality. If you read a Harvard Business Review, if you read a fast company and they're talking about personality, that 95% of the time they're going to talk about the big five. And they will even talk about it being the standard now. Um, the big five goes deeper than most other assessments um you're it's it shows your scores on a spectrum which i really love because we're not introverted or extroverted we're somewhere on the spec extroversion yep. spectrum um it's it avoids that labeling and 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 you know narrowing us down to one or two letters or words or um or numbers right so while those Assessments have their place, especially if you only have a short period of time and you want to quickly talk about differences. Um, they have their place, but this is kind of a next generation. If you need want to go deeper, and so it has five. This particular assessment, based on the five factor model, there's multiple assessments based on it. Um, this one, the Narrative Big Five, has five the five super traits and then twenty three sub traits. You could have fifteen sub traits. You could have thirty, right? Um, but This one has 23. So that's quite a few things to be be very specific about.
0: Yep. So I thought it might be interesting. Uh, You did, I shouldn't say you did an assessment. I did the assessment, Mm
2: -hmm. right?
0: So when you do the big five assessment, it's not somebody else like observing you and deciding you're this or you're that. You actually go through questions, Mm -hmm. right? And then it produces a report that is shockingly insightful. Like- when I looked at it, I thought, "How in the world could they know that much? That I feel is accurate. That that jives with my own perception of how I am in these certain areas, just from a very what to me seems like a pretty small amount of questions they ask you." Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of we talked about this beforehand, and I sent you a copy of uh, my Big Five that that I completed because uh, mm-hmm. it's been a while. I didn't want yeah. once you have to go ch- go chase it down, but. You mentioned that you would kind of look back through it and there were some things that you thought were interesting. And part of the reason I want to do this for the audience is I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of showing rather than telling. Right. So I thought yeah. if they could see how you're using this assessment mm-hmm. to have a conversation with me and, and how we're using it, I think that would be helpful. So tell me some of the things that you saw in mind that kind of jumped out at you.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, when I sit down with someone, I never send a report without sitting down with them. I have 20 years of experience with what does this all mean? And there's no way I could put all that in a report, right? Um, so the so, so a couple of things that stood out to me when I was look, looking at your assessment again. Um, and so I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit, but from a resilience standpoint, you're very optimistic and composed so you're very positive, calm, you know, so you have that calming, positive influence on people when they meet you, when they're working with you. But you're also, you do worry and you can get irritated, right? And so those are a little bit different each other. That just means you're complex when it comes to resilience. So resilience, in as we define it, is how you deal with stress. So even though worrying sometimes and getting a little irritated, it can cause stress the good parts about that are it means you care and you probably are passionate about things, right? So, but the the challenge, the downside is it's not fun sometimes to have that stress. Um, and then you have those optimism and that composure to where most people probably don't realize that you are worrying,
0: right? It's funny when when you were saying that, what came to my mind is I've had when I've had deeper conversations with people and they Mm -hmm. realize how optimistic I am, sometimes they don't realize that I'm optimistic because externally, I think I tend to focus more on protecting the downside, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'd be curious what your thoughts are on the nature nurture thing, right? Because I come from an accounting background and in accounting, even when you're in school, they teach professional skepticism, right? Mm -hmm. And in some accountants' jobs, in some of the roles I had professionally, part of my job was find the gotchas in this deal that we're looking at, this right. business, this unit, business unit, or whatever, so that you can point them out and help us protect the downside or develop um, contingency plans. So, what are your thoughts on the like nature yes. and nurture aspect of that?
1: Yeah. So the twins, the twin studies that have been done tell us that, and it's pretty. It's it's not that. De- baited anymore, that about 60% of our personality we're born with, and about 40% is environment. Now, some places like the Center for Creative Leadership, they'll do 50-50. They'll say 50-50 just to be very conservative. The reality is it's
0: probably more than 60. That's that's nature. So when you say, sorry to interrupt, but when you say twin studies, they've actually studied with identical twins?
1: Yes. And where they were raised in different environments. OK. And um, the, the thing that I want to make sure, though, to point out is that 60 percent doesn't mean that you are predestined to behave a certain way. What it means is you've been given this raw material. What you do with yeah. that raw material That's is how you are
0: kind of out of the out of the womb. Without which yeah, without with, external... right.
1: And then and also one, let's just give an example. Somebody that worries a lot, one person realizes I've got to do aerobic exercise. I mean, some people, you know how it's like if I don't run every day, I just can't function, sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So some people because they worry, they have figured out I wanna, I need to do the aerobic exercise to get the toxins out of my body. Some people may do more, eat more comfort foods as their reaction Ooh. to having that stress and anxiety, right? So again, I just want to make sure that 60% is genetic, but what you do with that, the, that genetic raw material is up to you. Um, yep. But anyway, getting back to your what you were talking about, I think a couple things that are really interesting about that are, yes, your environment, your training is part of that 40%. You were trained to say, "I got to look at the things that can go wrong in a situation, and then I we can deal with them." Right? Um, Generally, a more a less optimistic person, it's going to come more naturally for them to think of those things that are going to go wrong. It's just going to come more naturally. It's whereas a more
0: optimistic person,
1: no, a less optimistic. Oh, okay. Okay. A less optimistic person. That makes sense. But I will also point out on your assessment when you bring that up you're, you are skeptical. You have a, very. you have a very skeptical trait, right? right? Or, um, or we call it your trust trait is very low.
0: So I might even use the word jaded in certain contexts <laughs> for certain things, not everything. Well, but.
1: and see, when I see a 2.8, I can, <clears throat> I can kind of, um, it's almost like I'm reading your palm because yeah, I can pretty much guarantee that what I'm going to say about it Is true, right?
0: This is the stuff, (laughs) by the way, for those of you watching and listening, that looks like magic when you don't understand all (laughs) the science. Yeah.
1: And so a lot of times it's a combination of things. So you picked up on it on the optimism, but I would have, and I would have said, yes, um, someone who is more Uh, pessimistic would be thinking of those things more naturally, like it would just come to them all the time. And sometimes those people, we think, oh, they're negative, right? Especially if we're really positive and optimistic. Oh, why do they always have to be negative? But we need those people for system testing, risk management, just like what you said, accounting. So I looked at, oh, look at that combination of skepticism that was somewhat of what you were talking about too.
0: Yeah. So, oh, am I going to point out some more things? (laughs) Sure, but I just wanted to comment. So, give some examples so that, mm-hmm. to to give some people some food for thought. So, places where I see my nature coming out all the time, almost uncontrollably, is I see typos and stuff almost um, with. I don't even look for them. I've had yeah. several people that, like, I met them in networking, and I go to their LinkedIn profile, and a mm-hmm. typo just jumps out at me. And I'll message them and say, "Hey, just FAI saw this typo," and almost every time they've been like, "Oh, that's been there for years." I didn't even. And I'm like, "I'm not. I I swear to you, I'm not looking for it. Just jumps out." So
1: yeah,
0: that I see that sort of in my my nature. The flip side of that, to address what you were talking about, where Uh we're we're not stuck in what what nature tells us in that sixty percent, right? So I I would self identify as being more introverted than extroverted. Mm-hmm. And then I talk for a living, right? I've I've spoken to groups of hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And people might say, well, how, how are you an introverted? But you do that. Well, over the years, I started out by being situ- situationally extroverted out of necessity, just because of different jobs that I had. And that's just, just through repetition. And then, you know, working on it uh, consciously, I got more comfortable with it,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: So for any of you that say, well, gosh, if 60%, I'm out of the box like this, what do I do? You can work on all that stuff if you choose to. It doesn't mean you have to change it. It doesn't mean you're stuck with it. You kind of get to do what you want with it. What the assessment tells you is out of the box, if nobody kind of did anything from your environment, that's kind of more what it's telling you, right? Well, it's it's telling you a
1: little bit of a combination of both, right? Because okay. at, at the point that you're taking the assessment, you've had a long history, well, depending on how no, old you are, <laughs> of yeah, that environment so, influencing it. So I can't tease out of the score what is genetic and what is environment, right? See so that
0: that brings up an interesting point, which I, I'm curious about. What are your thoughts on people's ability to game the assessment? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to answer that question, I promise, but I
1: do want to go back <laughs> to something you said because okay. you're in you're in the top 20% of people who are perfectionists. So they're 80% of the of the working adult population is less perfectionistic than you. Um, so when you tell me that you the typos, I I can see that, right? It just comes to it, just it's easy for you. The other point I wanted to make is that um. We can behave anywhere we want to. On the spectrum, I'm, we have a we have a score on each of the spectrums, right? But if you're an introvert, sometimes you have to do extroverted activity, right? You need to, if you're a business yes. owner, you got to go to networking and you can do that. It just means you just don't want to do it every night and it doesn't give you a bunch of energy. It drains you a little bit more, but you certainly can do it, right? So just yep. to your point, okay, you were asking me about gaming the assessment. You can gain the assessment. Um, you are answering these questions, right? There is not, um, there's nothing that will tell me for certain whether you are gaming the assessment, whether you're trying to make it, um, you look good or whatever. But I will tell you, I've added to this assessment, I've added about 20 questions. There's actually a name for these questions. It was developed by research of what you should ask people um, and put it in the assessment, which basically says there's probably a chance that this person is trying to look good, right? And I, mm-hmm. having having looked at having worked with these for 22 years, I can look at an assessment and say, I don't think this could be. And then I have questions, I go and actually ask questions of the person. And I actually did this with someone where I was using it for a selection. Um, And we Uh, actually had to go back and uh I went and talked to him. I said, so I asked really specific questions to see how true it was, you know? So yes, I have to make sure, but I will tell you that there's only, that only happens every once in a while,
0: right? Mostly people answer the way they, when you said you're in the top 20%, my, my instinct was to go, yay, And then when you said a perfectionist and I thought, uh, I immediately thought of, um, guy, Alex Ramosi, he's a super successful business guy. His business has like $200 million a year in revenue. He does a lot of stuff in social media. Uh And he said one time, perfectionism is just procrastination dressed up as quality control. Uh, And when I heard that, that, I went, oh, dude, (laughs) I I am guilty of procrastination. uh, Yes, I can see that. And and I think (laughs) when I heard that quote, I thought, I think that's what I'm doing a lot of times is that I'm calling it perfectionism, but in reality, it, it, not always, but in reality, sometimes maybe that's like an excuse well, to put off doing the thing. Or For example, I'm working on a project, I have to draft a, a document, a PowerPoint or whatever,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it takes longer than it should. And I'm calling that perfectionism, but at the end of the day, I, I'm kind of just not finishing.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, I'll put I mean I would put that a little bit different way. Okay. I would say that your perfectionism score exacerbates your tendency to procrastinate. So you already have a tendency okay. to procrastinate. You mm-hmm. you're in kind of 50% of the population on that just just to so why why do I procrastinate?
0: So okay not, so not affected by the perfectionists. What would the assessment the, tell you? The,
1: the, perfectionist, the perfectionism is separate, but related. It's all related to Summit Point, but it is within the same super trait, conscientiousness. Um, so it correlates more. They correlate more together, right? So it, we call it self-discipline. That's about procrastination and um, perfectionism. But that perfectionism is, is almost causing some, it's hard to say how much of it is that's why you're procrastinating or do, is it making it, even harder, right? Like you already have that tendency to procrastinate and it's giving you more excuse, like you said, to right. do it. So it's, but you can, you can be a procrastinator and not be a perfectionist at all. Right.
0: So there's so all, I'm curious. it's that spectrum. It can, you can be all over the place. Do psychologists or psychiatrists um, have all, I shouldn't ask all, is it common that, that they would have a patient who comes to them take this assessment, like before they start uh, working with them? Mm -hmm. So they can kind of get that background that the assessment gives them?
1: Yes. Now, if they were a a therapist or psychiatrist, they would use the Neo PIR because it's the standard clinical big five assessment. Um, Okay. It would not, the questions, my, the questions on our assessment is, are about work. The assessments at the the neopir is the standard big five. It was the first one. It was used in a clinical setting. So okay. those questions are just more about life in general and, and maybe so, some work, but yeah. But yeah, so there's different yes, versions
0: they, of the big five, but the undergirding science yes. is the same for all of them. Um, it sounds to me like what you're saying is over the years, people have, have kind of tweaked the base big mm-hmm. five assessment to be more use, useful in different settings. Yeah, yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. So like that mm-hmm. for example, I've seen people may be familiar with disc assessments and I've seen like disc for sales, disc for manager things like that. just so something along those lines. A little bit like that, yeah. A little bit. Okay. All right. So so that's conscientiousness. Anything else? I mean, I don't want oh, to Oh, that I want I, I did no, I did want to
1: just point out which I just think it's so interesting that you are you're in ten percent of the population of of people who have a high imagination who like ideas, who get really excited about coming up with new ideas, right? and you're also in top and and I say top ten percent it doesn't top and bottom don't mean anything except along the spectrum. It's not good or bad it's just, it's, a distribution. It's just different so like the people bell
0: curve kind of
1: yeah, thing. people in the opposite. End of ideas and high imagination are the doers, the implementers, and we certainly need those, and that's great too, right? It's just different. And then and the, a lot. And then sure. the people in the middle are the ones that translate between people like you that have all the ideas to the people that can actually make them happen, <laughs> right? So, so what were you going to say? So anyway, well, I, I just ask. think that's interesting because you start out as accounting, and I guess in accounting you can you certainly can have ideas, but they're not going to necessarily be pie in the sky ideas. So tell me about that. You tell
0: me about that. I joke with people all the time that creative people in accounting are usually the ones that end up in jail. Um, We have a term for creativity in accounting. It's called Betty Crocker accounting, cooking the books, (laughs) right? Um, People like the Jeff Skillings of, I shouldn't say Jeff Skillings, I think he might be out of jail now, but the the folks that were involved in Enron, right? So for my accounting and finance folks, remember Arthur Anderson? Arthur Anderson used to be as prestigious as Accenture, right? When I was graduating college, They were one of the big four CPA firms that all us accounting students were like fighting to get jobs at. They were the biggest, most prestigious firms in the world. Mm -hmm. And Arthur Anderson doesn't exist anymore because some of the people within Arthur Anderson, it wasn't the whole firm, but some of the people at the top were involved in being a little bit too creative with their accounting. Yes. Um, Yes. So, what I was, what I, the comment that I made is when I said that explains a lot is you were saying Uh that. The people who are higher on creativity tend to be lower on implementation. Right. Right. So that leads me to a question, which is probably a big area where you use this or could use this to help people,
2: mm-hmm. which
0: is f- knowing what, what we know just from what we've discussed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How, how can I use that in my business to me, what jumps to mind is, okay, get an assistant, which I, I finally did after years and years of people telling me, get an assistant. I found that very helpful. But mm-hmm. now I'm finding out I have an assistant who only does tasks that I give her. I've recently have met another person that does virtual assistant work and realized this other person does more, they'll help you figure out areas that maybe they could help take things off your plate.
2: Mm-hmm. This
0: other assistant is just like, just give me the list of tasks and I'll do them. Right. That, all that other stuff, that's above my pay grade. Right. Now I'm realizing maybe it would make sense for me to pay more for that person that says, let me see the things that are sucking your time.
2: Yeah.
0: And then I can help you strategize on how I can help you get more organized, stay more organized so that you can just focus on the things that this big five might tell me. Those are your strengths. Right. Focus on those. So how how could we use this to help me steer to become a better business person? Okay, so
1: we see we could talk about this all day long. This is I'm so passionate about this because it's so true. When you talk about that, people who score low on the imagination, they are the doers, but they also need more direction. You have to tell them to do A, B, C. You have to tell them you can't just say I need a status report. You have to tell them the format at the make it a one page at the top. You need accomplishments last week at the bottom, you know, so yeah, what happened like a- and, and someone like you doesn't want to do that and may maybe find it hard to do that, right? You just want to say, I need a status report and you want someone to go do it. Well, the person that you're talking about, I would look at the other traits as well, but let's just talk about imagination, just that sub trait, they probably are more in the middle. And they're doing that translating. They can have the ideas. Obviously, anyone can have the ideas. Don't get me wrong. Generally, people right. who score lower have more practical ideas. But the, the person in the middle is the translator. And because you're so high, if I was hiring someone for you, I would hire someone that's in the middle because you don't okay. you want them to, to compliment you and give you what you need that you don't have. But you also don't want them to be so far away from you that you that you butt heads and you can't yeah, really, you can't, it's hard to get communicate.
0: Yeah. 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 Interesting. So this, actually so I, I the, can
1: use it for selection. I use it for selection. What I do yeah. is I profile the job
0: and then, so I and I do it. This is a big area where I think, and this is part of why I wanted to, to say, you know what, I, I'm okay. Using my, my uh, assessment mm-hmm. as an example, because this whole thing of showing rather than telling, right. Yeah. I, I often have times, Uh, oftentimes have trouble getting people to understand what I do because of that curse of knowledge, right? I tell them I I develop and deliver training primarily in the area of communication skills, and I mostly work with accounting and finance professionals. That sounds really clear to me, but most people actually, they don't have a clue what the heck that actually means. So that's why I thought if we actually go through a couple of things in my assessment, we talk about, well, so what? Right now, what what do I do about these things? It -hmm. gives people a better understanding. But this also led me to another question, which is something in your not profile, not your big five profile, (laughs) but just in in your your overall profile, uh, which I found interesting, which is the fact that you got an associate's degree in fine arts, but then you got Mm -hmm. a bachelor's degree in math, which to me are like opposite ends of the spectrum, kind of like me with accounting, and now I, I do speaking sometimes. Mm -hmm. what was the thinking there to go from art to math and now you work with people like how yeah
1: yeah so um I always sang I love to sing and I'm pretty good you know um now I basically sing at Christmas and retirement homes (laughs) but um I was so I was a music major I was excited to be a music major Um, I figured out and I went to a small school where that was a music school before I went to Chapel Hill for math. So but I realized as I was doing that, that I couldn't go to the Metropolitan Opera. I'm very I'm very driven. Right. That's one of my traits. And so if I couldn't like do something big I didn't want to do it at all. Right. So I didn't want to be mm-hmm. a music teacher in a small town in North Carolina. Right. I, but there's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't my what I wanted to I do. Didn't. Right. I wanted to be on stage. So now I'm on stage speaking instead and training. Um, but what I there is a from a science perspective in the brain, there is a correlation between the theory of music and math. Right. So it's not as far no, off as sense. you think. But I was always good at math. And so, you know, our generation, my generation, um, you you know, your family had a big influence on you or someone, people had a big influence on what you went and did. So when, because I was really good at math, my dad kind of pushed me into it and it was like, okay, well, I'm good at it. So I should do it. But I have, I'm so extroverted. Um, when I got out of school, I knew I didn't want to sit in a desk. You know, writing formulas or coding, which was the thing, right? I did. So I went to, to. so I found Accenture, which, by the way, actually started out as part of Arthur Anderson. It was Anderson Consulting. And yeah, yep. anyway, but we broke off. So I I went to a company that I knew I was going to get to travel, I was going to get to go to different projects all the time, I was going to have different clients, I wasn't going to be sitting at a desk. We start out programming, we do Accenture back then, the consulting, we started out programming, and then you become a designer, and then you manage programmers, etc. So you move up pretty quickly. Um, But that's, and so then when I got into all that technology, it was great because I did get to travel. I got to meet a lot of different clients, loved what I did. And we did big things. I liked that. But I didn't have that passion for technology. I Because I'm mm. so extroverted, I was so much more engaged with the people side than that's when I did that switch. So what's great is that students now have these assessments that can help them Determine where their natural strengths are so that they can figure out sooner some of the things they're interested in,
0: you know, or that that they'll find passion with. Until you made that connection between music and math, it didn't, I was kind of curious. It actually makes sense when you said there's a lot of music is kind of a lot of math, right? Right. And I I think I've, I don't remember who I heard say it, but something along the lines of everything really boils down to math that you can find relationships and everything. And I've always Mm -hmm. said, when I hear people um, say, well, why, you know, why do we make kids take so much math that they're never going to use it again? And my first thought is always, I use algebra almost every single day of my life, even if I'm not doing math, because if you think about what algebra is, just the most basic ideas in algebra, it's like analogies. This is to this X is to Y as Y is to Z. Right. It's all about announce. So if this goes up, what happens to this over here? Right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have to calculate anything, you don't have to actually even be thinking about math, but by learning the concepts of algebra. And then I think the actual doing the math, doing the problems reinforces the relationships and the ideas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that later on, like now I don't work with numbers anymore but I still feel like I use algebra because I'm always looking at the way people learn, right? Okay. How does this relate to something I already understand and how is it different? That's kind of algebraic ideas at the like highest level, like pie in the sky. Maybe this is the, that trait of mine, the creativity coming out. I'm finding, would that explain by the way, why sometimes I will, somebody will say something and it will trigger something in my brain. And I'll go off on a tangent. And to me, mm-hmm. it makes total sense. And they're going, what made you think of that? Is that, that
1: creativity? Piece? Okay, so that's another piece that's in the same super trait as imagination. It's called complexity. And you're t- also 10% in that one. And just that explanation that you just talked about, about things that, that related and everything. And it you means you're that explains that you are high in that and this is the example that you just gave me is what i give all the time to people talking about complexity you see connections that people do other people do not see a lot of other people don't see you you other people might on the other end of the spectrum look at an issue really narrowly and simply and so if they're looking at an issue really narrowly and simply and you get you get a connection and you voice it they're going
0: yeah, they think, how I'm does real... that
1: have to do with what I'm doing? Right. Yeah. What I'm talking about. And I teach people to, okay, you need to communicate when this happens. Don't shut him off because you think he's off topic. Ask him, how did you get there? Right.
0: So yeah. this is how I work with teams. Yeah. So this is, this brings up something interesting is when you say top 10%, top two, everyone, and, and again, we're talking about, I'm assuming like on a bell curve, right? It's yes. Distribution. Yes. Yeah. So it's not better. It's not worse. It just is. It's just Mm -hmm. just where you are on this curve. Like most things, when you tend to be towards any extreme, extreme. Mm -hmm. it comes as a blessing and a curse, because I see all the time when I'm working on developing a new course, Mm -hmm. I get these ideas that seem all over the place. I put them on paper. I put them in the PowerPoint. I leave them and I come back and realize, oh, no one's going to understand why I'm using this example. And I'll you know, bounce it off other people. So mm-hmm. it can, it can be really good if you mm-hmm. understand how to harness it. Right. But it can be challenging in those in the moment conversations when you just get an idea that sparks and you voice it and it leaves other people going where I, I've told people this before that I can only imagine that people who are hot, super intelligent, it must be a struggle for them to have conversations with people who are not super intelligent because Mm -hmm. I I have to imagine that what they think about and the way they think is very different, right? Mm -hmm. It's part of what makes them exceptional in intelligence. And it must, I I just have to imagine, it must be a struggle to talk to average intelligence people because they're just thinking about different things all the time. Yeah. 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 And And, when you find that way with everything though, right. With the
1: extremes. Exactly. Yes, it is. And that, that where there's large difference, that's where there's room for conflict because you're looking at things so differently. And that's where I come in and help with lowering that tension, helping them to start communicating more and helping them understand each other. So when you, what's so interesting is that um, you, if you were talking to somebody that thinks like you that scores high on complexity, right. Then you would click more, right. They would, they would get your connection. They'd get it right then. So that's when you get really comfortable when you find somebody like that. Right.
0: Yeah. And I, I think this is why when we talk about generalizations, right. So in, in some of the the courses that I teach, I talk about um, cross-cultural communication, right. And we'll Mm -hmm. talk about different generalizations about different cultures And I always start the conversation with, we're talking about generalizations here. We want to be very careful not to go down that slippery slope to Mm -hmm. stereotypes, right? Right. And the difference to me, the easiest way i found to describe it is if we use this information, what we know about groups as a starting point to understanding it's useful. Mm -hmm. When we start to assume that everybody who displays some trait now has all those other traits because they're part of that group, That's where we get ourselves into trouble. Um, But it makes me wonder. We do that with generations. We do that. That's an issue with generations, for sure. It's funny you mentioned generations. That's the area where I've seen the most drastic differences where people, there's a disconnect. So, for example, I'm talking about this exact topic Mm -hmm. and we start talking about generational differences and someone older, like in my age cohort or older makes a comment like those darn millennials. And then they start bad-mouthing millennials. And I'm going, dude, look to your left and to your right. We have a room full of millennials and people from all kinds of different groups. Yes. But what I found fascinating is people like, my, I'm in my mid-50s, people like in my age group and older seem to not think twice before commenting about other age groups
2: Mm-hmm. Whereas,
0: especially the younger age cohorts are much more aware and thoughtful. This is just my observation; right. it's not scientific mm-hmm. study yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My personal yeah. observation, but thousands of people that I, I've seen in, in, you know, not all at one time, but in different courses that I've, I've I've been involved with, they seem to be a lot more aware. And I'm just uh, my guess is that you know it has a lot to do with their generation Inclusion. growing up. It was a very different experience for them, and Mm -hmm. Our culture has changed a lot. We have a lot of things where I even have difficulty in my classes sometimes where I'm trying to teach the platinum rule. Do unto others as they want done unto them, not as you want done unto you. We learned the golden rule when I was a kid. Right, right. Do unto Mm -hmm. others as you would like done unto yourself. Well, guess what? Everyone doesn't like what I like. Mm -hmm. And I think that points to, in my opinion, what is the great value of things like clubs, and affinity groups, right? To be with those people that you're very much like Mm -hmm. so that you can explore those things. I'll give you a perfect example. Me and my girlfriend, she's extremely extroverted. Mm -hmm. She's a special education teacher. I I Mm -hmm. did substitute teaching for about a year on and off before I moved to North Carolina. And I realized I I can't do that job because I don't have the patience (laughs) and I'm not understanding enough to be as empathetic as I need to be to do that job properly. And for her, it's like a great fit. She just, but I think it's good to spend time with people you're very different from, but also have some time for yourself where you go, my people, where you can Mm -hmm. relax, be yourself, not have to do the platinum rule thing. Because I get this all the time. People will say, you need to tell me- I got ten different people that I manage. You mean to tell me I have to talk differently to all ten of them? Yes. No. Well, <laughs> what I tell them is, no, you don't have to. Yeah. Only if you want to be more effective. Right. Right. You <laughs> and don't if have you to, want
1: do to And if you want to get the most out of
0: them, right. <laughs> and sometimes they get upset about it, and you know I have to talk them down a little bit. But my message to them is, look, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be here in this class, right? You could walk out and say, this guy John is so full of crap. He doesn't know what he's. To-. You could do that. I'm trying to share with you things that are based in science Mm -hmm. and or things that I've seen work over and over again in similar circumstances. Mm -hmm. Take that for what it's worth. Some of them, I will tell you like a big five, right? I could point to the science behind the big five,
2: Mm -hmm. right?
0: And you could talk obviously in a lot more detail about that, but it's based in hard science and, and it's been studied over and over and over and over again. So Mm -hmm. you can argue with it, but it's backed by science. So I feel pretty comfortable saying, here's the science. When Mm -hmm. it's something where I don't know if there's any science behind it, I'm very clear. Look, when I worked here, I did this. It was effective. It worked for me. It may or may not work for you. I'm just sharing that with you, right? Right? Yeah. It might be helpful. It might not. One of the guests that I've had on, uh, Mark Bowden once said, all models are wrong, but some are useful. (laughs) and what i took from that is take the best and leave the rest whatever lesson you could take out of it even if you just i've learned things from people i disagree with yeah but i've learned something from them and i thought okay i could take that and use it i might have to change it a little bit right or tweak it but i can use that um so that i have a question now a lot of what we just talked about leads me to this and i gave you that example my girlfriend and i are very opposite Mm-hmm. introvert extrovert i'm super super literal with my language
2: mm-hmm.
0: she's she's much more she uses a lot of vague language
2: mm-hmm. right
0: that causes problems what are your thoughts and what does the science say about mm-hmm. this whole opposites attracting and how what are things that people who are opposite in relationships can do at kind of a high level to, to help manage those relationships
1: Yes yeah, so sci- the science says that longer term relationships are more probable the more similar you are because it's easier right it's easier but it doesn't mean and we and opposites do tend to attract i don't know a lot about the research about how why that is but i think some of it has i mean my like you just said this is not scientific but my hypothesis is that We see in other people what we don't, that is different than us, that we might be attracted to. And we might want, if like, I'm not very adventurous. I'm very serious. I'm very work oriented. My, my husband is an adventure, free spirit.
2: And that's what I was
1: attracted to. And I, cause I wanted to be more like him. (laughs) He gets gets mad because he's like, you just made me
0: more like you. He gets upset because he says, I that, just made him more like me. Um, but that just with my, my theory as well, yeah, yeah. It, but that it all the things you're saying when I think about the things I love about my girlfriend that are super different for me that's what attracted me. Mm-hmm. Is I want to explore more of that. I like that, but right. I'm not like that as much as I'd like to be. But then, it but over time, work long term, right? And over time, those things can upset you because it's
1: different than the way you want to do things, right? Right. Um, But that's where if you understand it, if you communicate about it, if you, okay, we know that, John, you like ideas and you, or maybe you, I don't know if you like change, you're in the middle on change, but um, someone that likes change is wants to go to different restaurants all the time, try new, different things, people, someone that's low on change, they want to go to the same two restaurants, get one of set, two different meals, right? So you have to compromise it, and that means communication, right? So what yeah. it means is what you have to continually do is remember what to appreciate about the other person and what they're bringing yeah. to the relationship, and that's the same thing I do with at people at work, the teams. Is I'm trying to get the frustration to come down and say, hey, instead of being frustrated with negative Nellie over there who keeps saying what about this and what about that, appreciate him for the what he's bringing to the table he's keeping your team from doing things that might risk this customer or risk this business or whatever right so it's
0: that's a lot of what i do with teams so this brings up something that i think is is also it's been helpful for me it took me a while to realize this is that sometimes when you're seeking advice it's critical that you understand context right so if you ask for example you go to some couple that's been married for 30 40 years and you say What's the secret? You've been married all these years. You seem so happy. What's the secret? And one couple might say, I don't know what to tell you. It's really pretty easy. You know, we like the same stuff. And, you know, we, we've just always gotten along. It's easy to talk about anything and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. It's just, it's just easy. You should look for mm-hmm. someone where it's just easy. When you talk to someone else and they go, it's a lot of work.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a lot of work. You got to work out all the time. And you think, I don't understand. They're both married a long time. This is like opposite. Well, maybe it's because the first couple were both very alike. Mm -hmm. So they had a lot in common. They didn't struggle to communicate. It was very, it's very easy conversation. The Mm -hmm. second couple were maybe opposite Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: that's what attracted them. And over time, they realized those things that we love sometimes cause communication issues,
2: but Mm
0: -hmm. they realized it was worth working on it because of Mm -hmm. How it enriched their lives. So neither one of them is is wrong. Right. Yeah. It it pays to understand their context. And if you Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a blind spot, right? We don't know what we don't know. Right. I might not think to ask, are you guys both really similar? And if they don't just happen to mention things that make that obvious, right? That could be very confusing. And I've I found that with observing business people and saying, okay, this person just talked for an hour and I took notes. And he said this list of things. And then I go to another seminar or whatever it is. I listen to someone else, very successful. I take notes and I look at them and I'm I'm going, They said opposite things. <laughs> and I used to struggle and go, how do I reconcile this? Sometimes you don't. Right. Two Sometimes things can
1: be true at the same time.
0: Yes. I've learned that. <laughs> yeah, that's been a, a difficult lesson. Yes. Um, it's me messy. Learn, which, so I have a question that I just... I just came up with this. I didn't come up with this. I heard somebody else talking about this on a podcast. um, And I thought it'd be an interesting question to ask you. Uh, This guy, Alex Hormozzi, very successful businessman, uh, the interviewer in the podcast asked him something about, um, what do you think so-and-so should blah, blah, blah. And he said, I wish I could get rid of the word should. Mm -hmm. And he basically just pontificated about how he he hates the word should. He's like, too many people are out there saying you should this or I should. People say should to themselves all the time. Oh, all the time, yeah. Tony Robbins kind of semi jokes about people should all over themselves, right? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the word should and do you think it's something that's helpful that should be abolished what, what do you think?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's coming from someone that has a lot of shoulds that and I I I don't know 20 years ago started hearing and and it was in the in the therapy you know i've gone to therapy off and on throughout my life and it was it was a therapist that said stop saying should who said you should who said you know Probably you a you, lot
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> for for you, starters
1: you have control over this right um and so i I think, oh my goodness, I think it's a huge, it's a, it's a huge topic, but what I'll tell you is that I think there are certain personalities that are more likely to think they should do things, right? I think telling the shoulds to yourself is almost, is worse than anything. I mean, there's okay. uh, there, all that, I, I'm always given advice, but I'm always saying, hey, take it or leave it. I'm going to tell you kind of what you said, I'm going to tell you from my experience but it may or may not work for you, right? But I'm going to tell you, but I, um, yes. So people who are high in conscientiousness, who are really high in conscientiousness, perfectionist, um, organized, disciplined, those people I think have a lot of shoulds because in internally, because they have very high expectations of themselves and they also have very high expectations of others. And so I'm working with someone right now, coaching them that she's brilliant, amazing at what she does. And she has such high expectations of herself, but she also puts those expectations on everybody else and nobody yeah. can live up to them.
0: Yeah, you hit on a couple of things that kind of hit home for me. One of the things I want to ask this question, though, you mentioned a series of traits, some of which resonated with me, some of did not. So you said people that are high in conscientiousness, one of the couple of terms you said were organized and disciplined. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I wonder if the assessment would tell you that I am those because I feel like I am conscientious, but I don't think I'm naturally organized. It's a conundrum for me. Mm -hmm. I'd like everything to be organized, but I hate organizing.
1: Yes. So you're, you're on conscientiousness. We talked a little bit about your procrastination. So you're in 50% of the population on procrastination. You're also in 50% of the populate working adult population in organization. So you're just in the middle, right? You probably need would like to be a little more organized. Um, well, same and, with discipline. But you are high on drive and you're high on perfectionism. So those two are also in conscientiousness, right? And drive is a powerful trait, I will tell you. And it will make up for other challenges that overrides
0: other challenges a lot. That's one thing that I'm thankful that there are so many people. uh, Number one, I'm thankful for podcasts. And um, there are so many people that are out there that I have heard their stories and learned about their backgrounds and, and their success stories that you'd never see on regular television just because there's more of them out there. There's like millions of podcasts, right? right? Um, and that seems to be a fairly common thread with all of them. I can't count the number of times I've heard somebody say, look, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I just work really hard. Uh, Tom Bilyeu is famous for saying, I- I'm below average intelligence. Like I know it, um, but I have an insane ability to endure suffering right yeah. he's like that's mm-hmm. my calling card he's yeah. like i can outwork out suffer he's like i'll i'll challenge nobody will out suffer me and he's you know very very wealthy mm-hmm. very successful mm-hmm. but if you listen to his story he even like with his personal uh fitness he was saying that the way he used to be overweight and he lost weight by basically just starving himself right just cutting his calories and working out a lot and mm-hmm. he was talking to some the guy that was a nutrition expert and he goes I wish I had known what you're telling me now because I did it by just sucking it up. You're telling yeah. me there's an easier way to it, but right. You know, right. sucking it up will work also. So <laughs> the, the ability to uh, endure the suck as military people say um, can make up for a lot.
1: Yes. And the thing about, you know, behavior and what I deal with all the time is we are complex. People are really complex, and and even though I do talk about personality, I also talk about motivations. I look them at it and generational, which is totally different because it's not specific to the person. Um, but I look at it as layers that all come together to make up why we do what we do, right? And so yeah. even though I'm tell like I'll tell you that more nat- you're more naturally somebody. Let me just say I'm talking to someone else, and I say you're you're naturally an introvert but that introvert if they are motivated to do with a great idea or what they're passionate about you wouldn't believe how extroverted they would act if if it's about getting to that goal if it's about yep. making that idea known it so people it, it all comes together and again you can flex depending on what your your goal is and how driven you are and all that
0: yeah it's yeah, the, it's fascinating yep. The example that I give people sometimes, because I talk to a lot of accounting and finance folks and a huge proportion of them will self-identify as introverts. And I tell them all the time, look, one of the first things I talk about often in, in workshops is what are your goals? What are your communication goals, right? I'm going to do some training on communication. What are your goals? Because you may have zero desire to be a public speaker, right? I speak in front of hundreds of people all the time. I used to be so introverted, my face would literally twitch (laughs) in certain situations. And people, I think sometimes people think I'm making it up because it makes a good story. I'm Mm -hmm. not. It's absolutely true. You can ask people that knew me 20 years ago. I would get up in front of a room of like 10 people to to deliver some training or something, and my face would be twitching. I had somebody come up like, are you okay? And now I go up in front of two, and I've done this before where I've had stuff where the power goes out, or, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I was born like this natural outgoing speaker. It was exactly what you said. At some point in my career, I figured out, I observed there were lots of people who were not more technically competent at their job than some of the people, and they got promoted above them. They got the cool projects. Mm-hmm. They got moved to different roles, or they got other jobs. I have gotten jobs that I think on paper I was not the best qualified for, because I figured out I got to be more that fill in the blank, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that was something extroverted. If mm-hmm. I want to get the things that I want, I need to have more of those traits. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna figure it out. And in the beginning. I didn't have a plan of how to do it. I just stumbled through Mm -hmm. and I tell people all the time one of the things I try to do with my training is help people not stumble through all the trial and error that I went through Mm -hmm. and try to give them training that's a lot more digestible, a lot easier for them to learn quickly, remember, and all all that good stuff. Um I I want to respect your time and we're getting close to the top of the hour here. So I wanted to touch on the fact that one of the things um, that you offer is this big five assessment that we've been talking about. And mm-hmm. I hope if you guys have been paying attention, if you don't see the value, and we had a conversation about this right after I did the assessment that was more deeper than yeah. this. And, you know, we yeah. talked a lot longer one-on-one about this, um, which I got a lot of value out of. But if you haven't seen the value just in some of the stuff we talked about here, uh, you just not paying attention. Um, <laughs> but you, you offer a free, t- tell us about the offer that Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will give the assessment
1: um, to people who are interested um, and I will go
0: through it with them, with their results. So So
2: I I can only
0: speak for myself. You've seen a little bit of it because we talked a little bit about my uh, assessment, but I got a lot out of it. And it was kind of like what I described uh, when I was telling you about Greg Hartley where I see it and I go, this looks like a magic trick. Like, how do you, it's yeah. based on science, this stuff works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's all a function of, you got to have the right mindset going into it. Cause you might hear some things like when you said you're top 20% and I'm going, and then you say in uh, well, perfectionism. Whatever, whatever perfectionism, whatever. <laughs> yeah. ah, maybe I want
2: mm,
0: to, <laughs> I'm not sure how to take it down. Right. Right. But you have to go into this with the mindset that, the whole purpose, I look at this, like the whole purpose of this is for me to learn more about myself so that then I can take action on some of the things that I look at and go, I see how that's showing up in ways for me that's not helpful for me or for mm-hmm. other people.
2: Yeah.
0: Maybe I'm totally comfortable with it, but it pisses somebody off or you know, it causes friction in a personal relationship. So yeah. I think it's valuable for anyone to take advantage of that. Uh, we'll put all your information in the show notes. Um, okay. What's the best way to for good. people to find you?
1: Yeah, um, my website is aboutnarrative.com and um, my email is cclee at aboutnarrative.com. The company's name is
0: Narrative, but the domain had to be about Narrative, so. Okay, great. Yeah. All right, so with that, um, we'll go ahead and wrap up. And Karen, I wanna thank you very much for your time. And everyone, please, for yourself, take advantage of this, get your assessment, spend that half hour. It It will blow your mind. Not just how much it will tell you about yourself, but in the conversation with Karen, being able to see ways that you can use that that are helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's that's where I would leave it at. Well, thank so you we'll so much
1: for having you, having me.
0: Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. <laughs>